I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coldest show in Freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. A partnership between BG Capital and Freeze Pack Logistics will break ground this month on a 228,000 square foot, $102 million cold storage facility in eastern Houston as a part of this program partnership that companies will build more than 200 million cubic feet of cold storage warehouses nationwide, creating 310 pallet positions by the fourth quarter of 2024. Freeze Pack Logistics is a family-owned company headquartered in Cataract, New Jersey. Together, this partnership will build a billion dollars worth of new cold storage facilities in port-centric markets across the U.S. The previously built facilities in Philadelphia. Real estate company CBRE arranged the sale of a 17.8 acre cold storage and production operation in Salinas, California to Church Brothers Farms for $24 million. The facilities span across five locations and include 225,000 square feet of warehouse space and excess, and excess paved land. As food operators streamline and expand their cold storage and distribution needs to adapt the ever-increasing online grocery shopping demand, locating warehouse operations Along the Central Coast in the U.S. Highway 101 in Salinas is a huge logistical benefit for the enterprises of farm field cutting to cold storage cooling. Church Brothers Farm is a family-owned and operated company that processes vegetables year-round. Burger King is pulling a full 360 as part of the $400 million Reclaim the Flame plan to reverse customers they lost. They are investing in additional franchises and purchasing two bigger franchisees that have fallen into bankruptcy. And a more exciting way to drive customers back into the store, they've created a Whopper Whopper viral jingle campaign. According to City's Tower, to any lift to Burger King's share prices could be limited unless it proves a its turnaround plan is advancing with data showing the broad financial health of the franchisees that addresses concerns about additional bankruptcies and closures. Today we are welcomed by Mike Jarrett, founder of Jarrett Companies. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Mike. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me. I am very excited about this. Um, I think that you guys, you know, you guys are known for your great culture and how you created it. So we'll dive into that in a second. But before we dive into that, let's get some background on you and kind of how you started, Jared. Okay. Sounds good, Mary. Well, I started uh, in the logistics industry back in the late 80s, right after graduated from college and went to work for, I know I just aged myself, but <laughs> started at uh, Roadway. Uh, now is known as Ulo uh, Corporation. And then uh, took a little hiatus after a few years at Roadway to go to grad school. And then after grad school, came back to work for Roadway Logistics, which eventually became FedEx Supply Chain. So I spent about eight years in FedEx Supply Chain and then started Jared in 1999. And, uh, you know, I think the, the background that I had in supply chain and transportation at a FedEx supply chain at uh, Roadway was really foundational in understanding the supply chain space and, and launching Jared. Jared uh, is uh, now a, a company of roughly about 300 employees. Uh, we uh, we started uh, what I call bootstrapping it. We had uh, no employees, customers, no revenue, and uh, 24 years later. 
um, have grown into four major divisions. We have logistics services, warehousing, transportation, fleet services, and international is a, another division. We just added uh, earlier this year. I like it. Uh, what all started with uh, a man and basically the phone is now quite quite a company. Well, it's come a long way for sure, 24 years. And I think there's a lot of advantages with remaining family owned and focused on on the right priorities. And um, that uh, I think that strategy is has been very effective for us and for our customers as well. well. I think it would have to be because if you, you know, if you focus on some of the other stuff or anything that's not as important, you know, your business is going to suffer because it's not really what you're known for. But um, some of the unique challenges that you guys have is you do food grade warehouses um, as part of your offering. Uh, from starting from, you know, a man with a phone and some determination to getting into food grade warehouses, what are some of those challenges that come with growing that business? Well, there's, a, there's a, you know, food grade is, is takes a higher level responsibility than non-food grade. So, you know, a couple of things that stick out with food grade warehouses is first the safety component. Uh, you know, you need to have a clean warehouse, um, you need to maintain the temperature, you know, when it gets hot in the summer or cold in the winter, you have to be able to rotate the air around um, and maintain that temperature and keep the humidity out of the facility and, you know, have it free from leaks and moisture. Those are really key things for having food stored in your warehouse. The second main thing with food storage is you need to have a warehouse management system that tracks more than just what the item is. You need to track a lot number. You also need to track expiration dates on the food. So at GR, we use a very robust warehouse management system that allows us to track lot numbers, expiration dates, and other key data for our customers that are utilizing us for their food storage and order for salt. I think that that's all that's like super important because like you said, it's kind of, I guess if you've worked in a restaurant, you know, you have some chicken that might be marinating. You definitely don't want to leave that chicken there for like a week um, and then try to serve it to somebody because that's how everybody gets sick. So I think that those expiration days are pretty key because, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, you're not sending out product that is not good anymore or could potentially get someone hurt or sick or anything like that. Um, so I think that not tracking that would be a disservice and just kind of, um, you know, the best idea other than joe in the warehouse going nah the top one was brought in on monday the bottom one was the most recent ones we need to go get the top one like we just can't rely on mike and his beautiful brain for all of our solutions on our supply chains well that's right mary and and then also we truly are an extension of our customer supply chain so our job is to make sure our customers have visibility to all their inventory at all times in a real-time way which is where WMS does. And and as an extension of our customer supply chain, we have a responsibility to ensure expiration dates are they're made aware of those. And we proactively notify our customers, ensure that the facility is at the level that they would expect if it were their own warehouse. That's a really important part of being a third-party logistics. You truly are an extension. Exactly. It's one of those really important things because, you know, your customers trusted you. So you need to make sure that you live up to their standards and your own. And well, ideally, in a perfect world, those standards would be pretty much in line with each other. 
Um, but it's not really a secret that like, you know, there is a labor shortage in quality supply chain talented can or quality supply chain candidates. Um, but you guys are known for having some really great positive culture at work. And what are some of those key characteristics of a winning culture at work? And kind of how can that be cultivated organically other than just like, hey, here's pizza on Friday or here's a beer fridge. Help yourself after three on a Friday. Like, what are some of those key characteristics that you guys implement? Well, Mary, I appreciate that question because I think culture is every, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Peter Drucker. He was a leadership guru from the 1980s. And he said back in, in the, in the mid 1980s that, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast seven days a week. And he was ridiculed for that back in the day. Um, you know, it was the old Milton Friedman days where capitalism is, uh, meets that you only focus on profitability and that's it. I, I think it. Focusing on culture is um, is the right thing to do, and then it leads to great things down the road. So one of the things that we really try to do is we build a winning culture by, first of all, establishing a purpose as an organization. I think you have to be a purpose-driven organization. And that doesn't go with just, you know, you know companies that are, you know, it applies to both large and small companies. You know, for example... Um, Apple, you know, their, uh, their, uh, purpose is to design and create products that improve the work. Amazon's, they have a, uh, their, their, uh, purpose is to be the world's greatest customer centric company on earth. So when, when we talk about culture and, you know, creating uh, a, uh, purpose driven organization, uh, we really talk about values first as we build a winning culture by, by establishing a set of core values, which I, I wrote the core values over 20 years ago. They're still, in, they say haven't changed. They're the same as what we have eight core values. We have a value statement and we use that, but most importantly, you have to embrace that those values and it has to start at the top. So as we've grown as a company, uh, we have to make sure that we're recruiting and retaining people that have a similar view on culture. In a nutshell, Mary, it's really hiring people that um, have a passion for what they're doing and believe they're part of something bigger than themselves. You know, we there's a book called Eater, Leaders Eat Last. And really that book is all about being a servant leader. When you're a servant leader, you put people before you and what that does, that creates a culture where people think, act, and communicate from the inside, not the outside in. And customers feel that. They understand we care about them. We care about making sure that their supply chain runs uh, at an optimal level and our people go above and beyond to, to make that happen. I think that's really important because, you know, you'll work at some place that says they have all these values and then after you've been there for a week, you realize that that's just really pretty art on the wall. And hopefully you really like follows through on it, whether it's, you know, your senior leadership or your own personal manager that is if you're supposed to have this like, you know, this family value approach, but then everybody's just sitting there stabbing each other in the back, um, stealing loads and, you know, just not working together. Then you're like, well, why are we doing this? This is this is a horrible toxic culture, but we have all these great values. But I'm glad that you guys like I've taken that and made it like, no, this is actually how we live and this is actually how we conduct business. And, you know, if you find some people that maybe aren't that type of fit or 
you know, if someone comes in and they're like, what? Everybody's actually nice. You're like, no, we actually like foster development and positive workplaces here instead of turning around and stabbing each other in the back. That's very true. I think what you just described, Mary, is trust. And I think when people trust each other and that trust starts at the top and works its way throughout the entire organization, uh, employees have a, a different way of approaching their job because they feel like um, they're valued. You know, they feel like their work matters. They, they, they receive fulfillment from what they do each day. You know, we call it the three R's. We, we recognize, we reward, and then we rejoice. When you recognize people for a job well done, they appreciate. When you reward people for going above and beyond, it really makes a difference for them. And the lastly, when we have success, we celebrate it. We rejoice at success. And it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It, it just takes um, trust and it has to uh, permeate throughout the organization. You know, I just read an article today, as a matter of fact, where, you know, there's a, you know, a company in the supply chain space and the headline on it was that mistrust of the CEO and management runs deep in the organization. It's a toxic culture. And uh, I, I think that when that happens throughout in an organization, I think people start to leave. And so it's really important to establish that um, the type of culture and then make sure that all of the key stakeholders in the organization are on board with that culture. I think that has to be like the most paramount thing because I've worked at places that, you know, they, they, the, the, some people care and other people don't. And it's just, it becomes a very jaded and like, what is happening here? Who cares? Who doesn't care? Like, where's like a safe place to be like, hey, I'm not really feeling valued or appreciated. Like, I'm going to go. Like, where's a safe place to take that? And where's a place that's like, okay, then leave. Like, we don't care if you're here or not. So I think that's kind of a really important, like, you know, the needle to thread. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about culture being everything and, you know, thinking, acting, communicating from inside out, we, we truly mean that we establish our purpose as our people. We're a people centric tech enabled company. And what that means is people are who we focus on first. And so we establish a just cause for, for our company. And the just cause is to provide our employees with opportunities to grow personally and professionally. When you provide a platform for your people to grow personally, professionally every day, it gives them an opportunity to continue to do that indefinitely for as long as they are employed at the company and they're dedicated to the company and to their job and to their coworkers and their customers, they have an opportunity to grow personally, professionally. And, and that's something that we take very seriously around. We, we feel that that gives us an opportunity to recruit the best and brightest people who want to stay long-term so they can continue to grow personally, meaning, you know, support their family at a higher level. Professionally, meaning taking on more responsibility within the organization and have that go on for as long as they are part of our team. So when it comes to setting some of these goals, and you guys have had many years of practice doing it, but there are some people who maybe are just starting to implement some sort of um, employee recognition program, or maybe they're just trying to start, maybe they're just starting their their journey and they don't really know what to start with. 
what are some of these common obstacles? Because I'm sure you probably didn't smash it out of the park on every single one. Um, you probably have some missteps here and there. So what are some of these common challenges that come with trying to build such a positive culture and keeping it positive and preventing it from trying maybe a little less desirable? Well, I think there's a number of ways you can do that. One of the ways that we have done that is we solicit feedback from all of our employees through a process called storyboarding. Storyboarding is a really neat process where you meet with employees, usually in groups of 10 to 15, and you have a facilitator. The facilitator in our company is our HR manager. And what what he does is he um, has a topic, a continuous improvement, or how do we bring innovation to a certain area of the company? That topic question then is uh, something that all of our uh, participants then will write down ideas on how to improve that particular area. They write them on an index card and then they submit them to the facilitator. The facilitator then posts them on a wall with a sticky tape so everybody can see the ideas. The key to storyboarding is you gather ideas from everyone in the group, but it's all anonymous. None of the uh, ideas are attached to an individual. You've probably very been to brainstorming sessions where leader says or facilitator says, hey, anyone have any ideas how to make this process better? And there's usually crickets or usually those that are more um, extroverted are nominating the discussion. What we have found is the best ideas come from those that are introverted, those that can write their idea down on an index card. Ordinarily, they would not say anything in those types of meetings. We've posted on a wall and it allows for all the ideas to be considered. They're grouped in categories and you know, we have generated literally thousands of ideas through the storyboarding sessions. We do it across the company. All levels of the organization participate in groups of 10 to 15 people per session. And we've implemented hundreds and hundreds of ideas that have come from our, our personnel. It's just an amazing way to generate innovative ideas from from your personnel. And, um, you know, we like to call them small, fast, cheap experiments. Some ideas will stick and some ideas won't, but they all start with a small, fast, cheap experiment. Exactly. I think that's something because it's nothing. It's not really uncommon for a company to send out a survey and collect data and go, oh, well, nothing's really going to change or you know, they don't really follow through on anything. And I've been, like you said, I've been to countless of those meetings of like, we want to make things better and more engaging. What you got? And like one person's like, okay, I got an idea. And it might be a horrible idea, but it's the only idea. So it's the only thing they can run with. But I think that is so genius because you get to see all the ideas from anything as ridiculous to like a petting zoo in the parking lot to something that is actually like actionable or maybe like some extra days off or some kind of competition because everybody loves a good competition. I don't know what it is about people in logistics. We're some of the most competitive people that I think I have ever come across. You're right about that. Uh, you know, you mentioned about ideas, small to large. We had one idea that came out in numerous sessions was people wanted ice machines in their, in their offices. And I never would have thought that, you know, people want ice machines. So we put ice machines in all of our offices in our warehouse. So, uh, and then we had other ideas on the other spectrum where, you know, there was a request for in increasing our 401k payout, which we did. And then, yeah, another one was, you know, increasing maternity leave. So we did that. So 
it, it can be a small idea uh, or it could be a very big idea. The impact may vary, but every idea um, we we get, we look at very closely and decide to, it's, it's really a neat process. I mean, something I didn't even think of ice makers either. I don't know why. I mean, I love I love putting ice in my drink, so that makes sense. But that's an easy fix. That's like I can order an ice machine on Amazon. It's there tomorrow. Problem solved. Everyone's a lot happier. That's right. Exactly. Um, so I guess what's your one big piece of advice to give to someone who, you know, might be struggling to create this good culture or just they don't even know where to start? What's that one piece of advice that you have? Start with a purpose in mind. So find your why. Find your purpose. Everyone has has a purpose, has a why. So you might have more than one, you know. You may have a personal purpose and you may have a business. But start with finding your purpose. And when you find it, you're going to believe in it in a in a way that is transformational. And, you know, for our for us, our purpose is our people. So it's transformational for for myself and our leadership team to always provide opportunities for people because that's where we start with. So st- first of all, find your purpose, find your why, and then establish core values. Those core values should be values that you believe, not someone else, because, because that leads to authenticity. If your values are what you believe, and then you hold to those values, you're authentic. And I think that, um, you know, that's so important in, in permeating values throughout an organization, throughout a team. And last but not least, once you have a purpose, you have values you believe in and you, uh, you know, you put them out there and, and you, uh, you make them part of your one onboarding and implementation, you then you're, you're authentic and then you build trust. And trust is the glue that holds relationships together. Trust is important within your organization amongst your coworkers because you want them to care about each other and care about the team and care about the customer. But also trust between us and our customers is extremely important. That trust between us and the customer is, um, you know, leads to long-term relationships that mean more than just providing supply chains. I think that's a really excellent, like, hit the nail on the head. Because, um, I mean, it's everyone kind of has trust until it's broken, you know? And the second it's broken, it's almost irreparable. Absolutely, Mary. I, I always say this, you know, trust is one of those things that's hard to develop but easy to lose. All it takes is one situation where you've lost the trust of someone that you've had that trust with for many, many years. So don't do that. Don't do it. Don't put yourself, don't put yourself in a position where you are, um, you know, misleading, dishonest, because it's it's so hard to build trust. But man, it's easy to lose. It is. It is. Um, it's not really related to trust in any way, shape, or form. But it's kind of fun. We have a show, question that we ask everyone on the show, um, and so this time it is your turn. Uh, might be the hardest question you get asked all day today. Is cereal a soup? Is cereal a soup? That definitely is the most unique question I've been asked all day. That's for sure. You know, I'm going to say no. And the reason I'm going to say no is because my favorite soup is tomato soup. My favorite cereal is Reese's Puffs. And 
I like Reese's Pups way better than I like you know soup. So I'm gonna say that soup and cereal are two different things. I like it. I um I have not had Reese's Puff cereal in a very 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 long time, and I might have to go pick some up. There you go. <laughs> All right. So if anyone if anyone wants to take if anyone wants to reach out to you on your cereal as a soup stance, um, maybe some if they need some pro tips out uh, cultivating some um, some culture, or if you know they maybe need some help with their logistics, where can they find you outside the show? So we're at uh, gojarrett.com. That's G-O-Jarrett, two R's, two T's, dot com. Um, that's the best place to find us at our at our website. And uh, if they'd like to email me direct, it's mjarrett at gojarrett.com. Okay, well, thanks, Mary. I appreciate it. And it was a, a great time. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Freightwaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more running on ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. See you on the internet. Mm-hmm.